Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. We are in our 150 chapters on the end times, and tonight's session is on uh, 2 Timothy 3 and 4. We're going to lump in both of those uh, passages. And this is one of those passages that, um, I don't know, really, it makes me so glad that we're studying the end times all the time around here. For those of you who are uh, relatively new, um, we have been going deep on the subject of the end times for the last like 16 or 17 years on a near weekly basis. That's been a, a subject that we've been studying because there's so much information about it and it's in the Bible and the Lord wants us to understand it. And so uh, tonight, uh, part of the reason I'm, <clears throat> I'm grateful that we study this is because of the warning that's given and it's so important that there be communities of believers all across the earth that have been spending a significant amount of time studying the end times because otherwise we're, we're going to be in a bad state of affairs when it all comes down. And this is one of those passages that really warns us about the, the difficulties, the specific why you want to understand the end times. So it kind of advertises itself. <clears throat> I'm going to uh, read this and uh, the passage here, and then we'll, we'll jump in kind of the verse by verse as we've been doing. So if you can, uh, notes on page one. And if you need a copy of the notes, still put your hand in the air. We can probably take care of you. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, and then 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 18, or at least most of that. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You just have to wonder if Paul was like, reading a script he was seeing from heaven, or if he was getting a vision that he was just describing these words. I mean, that's a long list. Normally when you're writing, you want to kind of like pause and change subjects. Paul just makes this awful long list. <clears throat> he says, then have nothing to do with these people. They're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, as in the case of those men. Their folly will be clear to everyone. <clears throat> now chapter 4. <clears throat> in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth. And turn aside into myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, <clears throat> the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> all right, now we're going to see how these two passages are related. And uh, we're going to break down uh, uh, a good portion of the details here. <clears throat> One of the things that um, this passage really highlights is... The, uh, the significant end time theme, in my opinion, I think, and this is just my opinion, 
I think it's the most important end time theme. That's just my opinion. But it's somebody that's been studying the scriptures related to the end times for a while. I think the most important end time theme is the coming deception. Because we cannot receive anything that in the right way that we're supposed to if we're deceived. And we will not be helpful in any of the ways that we're supposed to be if we're deceived. And the scripture over and over and over in relationship to the end times broadcasts the warning, do not be deceived by what is coming because there's a lot of bad stuff coming down the pipeline. <clears throat> so I think it, just my personal opinion, I think it's the most important and one of the most neglected end time subjects. And that is to not be deceived. So great falsehood is coming. <clears throat> Let's look here on page two. Now, Paul is, uh, just as a, um, I don't don't know, a little point of um, reference or history here, Paul is writing the letter of 1 Timothy and the letter of 2 Timothy to Timothy. He's writing to a dude. He's writing to one of his disciples. He's writing to a young leader. But he's writing to Timothy in a very interesting um, manner or tense. He's writing to Timothy like Timothy is going to be alive and is going to experience the events of the end times. But Timothy died and the end times didn't happen. So it's important that we recognize what that means for us. Because Paul was writing to Timothy as a young leader giving him great detail about what the things would look like at the end times and warning Timothy as a leader, you need to be ready for this man. You need to be prepped. You need to understand these themes. Here are some of the antidotes. Here's some of the ways that you keep your heart. It's really important, Timothy, that you are in a good spot so that you can help be a part of the solution in the end times. And then Timothy died and the end times didn't happen. This is the Holy Spirit communicating far more to the Timothys of the generation that will experience those events than it was Paul to Timothy. Now, I'm sure Paul thought he was talking to Timothy, but we need to hear this from a very different voice, and that's the voice of the Holy Spirit describing what the end-time generation will look like and giving us the required marching orders, understanding, lifestyle that will be necessary in order to be able to navigate the difficulties of those days. So I'm really grateful Paul snuck this letter into Timothy, uh, to, yeah, to Timothy and that generation, not so that the two of them could have a bond or a connection, but that it would, could wind up as doctrine for the New Testament church so that we could have this information ready and available for a hundred million end-time Timothys to be ready for what it is that's coming, okay? So just an important piece of context. So beginning here in uh, chapter 3, Paul says this, mark this. I mean, it's just an advertisement. That's another phrase of like, pay attention. You really want to be paying attention to this. I mean, if somebody says that in casual conversation, that's kind of weird, right? Mark this. Mark my words, you. I mean, those are like kind of intense, pay attention, sort of a a detail. And Paul does that because he wants to get Timothy's attention And he's warning with this sense of urgency, like, you need this, man. You need to understand this. Mark these words. There will be terrible times in the last days. See, just imagine Timothy is this young leader hearing this and going, okay, I really need to pay attention to Papa Paul here. He's trying to give me some instruction. And he's telling me, that there is going to be a really challenging set of circumstances that are going to be the normal rule of the day for believers as the end times unfold. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times. Now, if you uh, just kind of do your survey of what you know about the end times without knowing the context of this passage and having not, you know, pretend you didn't just read it. If you heard... The Apostle Paul, or Jesus, or one of the other apostles say, the end times are going to be really bad. Your mind would probably first go to the judgments of the book of Revelation, and that is not at all what Paul is talking about. He is talking about the deception that is going to pervade culture, and it is going to pervade even the church of Jesus Christ. And he's giving Timothy 
a leader in the church instructions about how Timothy is going to need to understand church life in the future. And the context is he's warning him about the things that are going to be going on in the church. And you know it's church-related because he says, don't associate with these people. These people are going to be false teachers in the church. These people are going to win a, bu a bunch of people over in the church. Here's how you need to deal with them as a church leader who's going to have to address falsehood uh, inside the church infrastructure. <clears throat> this is a, a painful passage because... Paul here is describing the end times are going to be really hard, mostly because of the falsehood in the church. Oh my gosh, that is really, really bad. That is a really challenging situation. It's one thing if the falsehood's in the world, that's where it starts, but it infiltrates the church in many, many ways. And so Paul lists this stuff off. You can just imagine Timothy being like looking around the congregation and going, who, you, George? You know, I mean, like, you're going to be abusive, Mary? I mean, like, just trying to figure out, like, <coughs> why is Paul getting so serious? I mean, it's like he grabs, Paul, you know, Timothy by the neck and just shakes his, you know, collar. And it's like, what am I in for as a leader in the church in the end times? And Paul says, it is going to be really challenging. And then he gives this long list. I'm not going to read it again because we're going to look at each of them. But he gives this list, I don't know, maybe 15 things or something. And they're all horrible. And Paul's describing the environment that Timothy, as a leader in the church, is going to be overseeing. He's describing, hey, Timothy, right now, the people are thinking pretty soberly. He said, it's not going to always be that way. He said, the, let me tell you, you got to brace for impact because people are going to be a lot of things that aren't very Christian sounding. And they're going to be in the church. And the context of that is, is clear, and we'll look more at that here in a little bit. But 2 Timothy 3.5 says, have nothing to do with such people. Why would you even need to have that conversation if it's like they're lost and they're bad and you know they're bad and they're trying to kill you and it's all awful? Like you're... Thank you. I don't need to be told to not associate with the people that are trying to kill me. I got it. Well, who is it that I'm, I, I will associate with? Those that are inside the context of the church culture. It says there's going to be many. And then he says this, verse 6 through 7, the people that are going to be teaching this, they're going to be promoting this, it's going to be wide-scale embraced. doesn't mean every person, but it does mean lots of persons. It's going to be wide-scaled embraced, this false version of Christianity. He says, but then there's going to be those that teach it. And he says, they are the kind that worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, these guys are going to be poison and they're going to be predators they're going to be in the church, and they're going to be looking for ways to be able to gain following, glean from people, you know, a parasite, uh, you know, parasitic uh, teaching relationships. There's, these are just going to be horrible people. He says it's going to be poison in the church. You just imagine Timothy hearing this and going, man, we got some problems in our church right now, but it doesn't look like that. And just imagine that bracing for what are we going to do when there's these kinds of guys sitting in the pew next to us. And it wasn't so clear that they were poisonous false teachers a year ago, six months ago, three months ago, things started getting a little weird. And, and last week, there were some unacceptable things that were said that came out. We heard, and imagine Timothy trying to brace for this and going, Paul, you're giving me some really heavy news right now that I'm going to have to be in charge of the church in a time when the church is losing its mind. And it's going to be really challenging to have to deal with all this falsehood and these false leaders inside the church. It says they promote lifestyles of all this wickedness and this just, it's, it's just, it's a disgusting life, lifestyle. He says they're going to be doing this. And then he compares them to the two uh, magicians that, turned the sticks into snakes and did a couple of the other miracles, a little bit of blood here and there. Uh, 
you know, in, uh, in the Exodus. Like, wait, 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 wait a minute. We were just talking about false teachers. Now you're talking about, like, like warlocks. <laughs> you're, you're talking about <coughs> guys that actually operated with a measure of real demonic power. Because that's what happened with those two guys. <clears throat> and so he's, he's now, you know, relating them. He says they're like those guys. And Timothy, just imagine taking another breath and going, oh, my gosh, this is worse than I thought. These aren't just going to be like guys with some bad doctrine. These guys at their core are like witches. These guys at their core are, are demonic messengers that are going to destroy uh, everything that they touch, and they're going to be in our midst. This is really intense language. I mean, it's, it really doesn't get more intense than that. Like, they're not just, you know, a little bit off doctrinally. They're a false brother. They're likened to, like, you know, a witch doctor. <laughs> like, and they're in the church, and they're teaching these things, and they're predatorial in the way that they're doing things. This is, I hate this. Because I'm like, well, if Timothy's dead, who were you talking to? Oh, no. It's me. <laughs> and you. <laughs> and we're going to have to deal with this nonsense. This is going to happen. And, and Paul is like really driving the point home. It's the list that he gives. It's obnoxious. It's, it's too much. It's like, seriously, Paul, stop with the, the non-ending uh, descriptive words about what these false people are going to be like and what, what the culture is going to be like uh, in the midst. This is really, really intense. And he says, he says, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Here is the clear to everyone. Here's how their folly will be clear. Their folly won't be clear to everyone who isn't paying attention. In fact, to those that aren't paying attention, it's that whole thief in the knife, thief, thief in the night thing. To those that are paying attention, well, how do you know what's paying attention? The list Paul just gave is part of the paying attention. To those that are paying attention to the criteria that Paul just gave, he says it's going to be obvious to recognize them because they say this and this. They have this story and this story about God, about how they came to Jesus, and about how they pray. They've got those stories, but they're rash, conceited, and abusive. Oh, I guess they can't really be a brother. Exactly. Who cares what t-shirt they wear? They are not followers of Jesus. He says, it will be obvious to those that are paying attention to the list I just gave and other places that Paul teaches on it and Jesus as well and the other apostles. He says, for those that are paying attention, it's going to be obvious, but to an entire generation that will not be paying attention. This is the part that I'm like, it's so important that we study the end times. It is going to be very easy to be alive in the end times and have never put serious effort into the 150 chapters. That is going to be a very normal version of Christianity. To be in that camp, to have been alive, loved the Bible, but not given significant attention to those 150 chapters will leave a person completely unprepared and unable to discern truth from error. Because the error will be so loud and, uh, and prevailing and the popular of the day and will seem reasonable. Deception, the only way deception works is if it really looks like the real deal. I mean, that's the only way it works. I remember uh, there was this news story we found out as uh, time went on, we found out the news story actually was at the gas station uh, right down the street from our old house. I mean, it was like, you know, half a mile away. There was this gas station... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know, racket that was happening there. And uh, uh, this couple or the guy or whatever, I don't know who it was, but some guy or guys, um, they had gotten a bunch of um, iPads and uh, they'd taken all the iPads out and they'd gotten some mirrors that were the exact same size and they put them inside the covering or whatever, inside the iPad, inside the boxes, whatever. And they were selling these discounted iPads uh, right outside of the gas station, you know, for like 150 bucks or $200, but they're really supposed to be 1000 or something like that. And people were buying them left and right. In fact, they sold out in some very short period of time. I don't know how many they had, 10, 20, I don't know how many they had. But in, in a very short period of time, they sold all of them, and all of a sudden, now, 
these people have got mirrors instead of iPads and they totally got swindled. But it, there was so much about it that looked real. It was the box. It was in the packaging. They picked it up. There was something in it that looked just like an iPad. You know what I mean? It's like there was it, like you had to really investigate in order to discern that this wasn't the real deal. The reason that it's so important that we study and that there are nights like this where we kind of get that Paul grabbing us by the collar and shaking us, that rattling, is because it is going to be insufficient to just love the Lord and not know any of the information that he gave us that was given to protect us. There will be so many people who will fall into deception and fall into deception and then hear some truth because they find some of those verses and then come out of deception, but I don't want to touch it. I don't want to dip into deception in the hopes that I can come out. Like, that's not ever the purpose, but there will be many who will. And so he says, but to everyone who's paying attention, to everyone who's been studying this, looking at this, that it will be clear who these people are. But here's the problem. The people aren't some evil person that shows up looking like a wolf. It's your best friend. It's the guy you've been going to church with for, you know, five years. It's the friend that you grew up in, you know, uh, in Sunday school with. It's the, it's the person that got saved with you a couple of years ago. And now, you know, now they're, they're in the church or whatever, but they started to drift. See, it's not some weird, bad, shady person. It's your friend. That's what makes this so incredibly challenging. And so Paul then goes on, gives this obnoxious list. I don't know that we're going to look at all of them with detail, but we'll at least kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, gl glance at each one of them for a second. People will be lovers of themselves. Selfishness currently, right now, it ransacks the church. Selfishness. The idea that my world, my desires, my life is more important than what's happening in the church. That's a crazy idea, and it's totally normal. That is totally the normal version of Christianity. Your individual life is most important, and what's happening with the church is kind of like secondary or third, doesn't even really show up on people's radar. Like, that's selfishness, okay? It says they're going to be lovers of themselves. Next one, they're going to be lovers of money. We're talking about a generation that will be marked by this. This sin of greed, it touches greatly actually on the issue of faith because we've been commanded to live generously, but that requires trusting God as our provider. So the issue of loving money actually is an issue of lack of faith in God. It's not all that's going on there, but it is a significant port, uh, part. And then just back to the loving self, well, if I have more money, I can get more stuff for myself. And so that just, it kind of fuels it. But these are the things that Paul said, this is what's going to mark the generation. I look at a lot of these things and I go, we are well on our way on half of these. The other half is kind of an unbelievable, unthinkable that it could be real in the church reality, and we're headed there. Just like there are things that are pretty normal now. I don't mean they're good, but I mean they've become normal. There's some things that have become pretty normal now today that were not normal 10 years ago and certainly not normal 20 years ago. We are on a steady decline in many ways related to the overall church culture. I don't mean every Christian or every congregation. I mean as a whole, as we can kind of survey the church at large in the Western culture, we see a lot of these things already in play. People will be boastful. You know, when you think about boastfulness, it seems harmless enough until you realize it is the primary trait of the Antichrist. It's not the only trait of the Antichrist. He's got a lot of really bad ones. But it's the one that kind of like the scriptures lead with. He will make boastful statements. He will be filled with blasphemy, which is an expression of his boastfulness of who he is in comparison to God. And so when we think about it, it's like boastful is kind of like maybe uglier and darker than we've been giving it credit to be. People will be boastful. People will be proud you know, the interesting thing about pride, <clears throat> it is such a great cover for more sin. Because here's how pride works. Pride means you're, you are not correctable. Pride means there is no measure of ability to be corrected. 
So what that means is if you've got that pride, then it's a great cover for whatever else you've got going on because there's no ability to be corrected. And so correctability uh, really plays into pride. So prideful people tend to be divisive, rude, bitter. And so we're warned against this pride. And he says, there's going to be a generation that's going to be marked by that. People will be abusive. I just, this is a tough one to think about. I don't mean that one guy in that one church that dealt in a way with his wife that he needs to be seriously dealt with. I don't mean that. I mean, as a rule, like it'd be normal that lots of Christians would be abusive. That's crazy. And Paul says, I'm glad you're paying attention. It's crazy. That's what's coming. He started off by, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I want you to understand what I'm saying. Terrible times. What do you mean, Paul? People in the church will be abusive. Oh my gosh. That's awful. This is going to range from verbal abuse all the way to martyrdom in the church. This is going to get really intense. And that is a, uh, not a good thought. And Paul doesn't stop there. He says people will be disobedient to their parents. One of the things that is a contributing factor that we can see this already, what happens is when children disobey their parents, there needs to be correction. There must be correction. But we're living in a culture that has got a number of strikes against us. I don't mean every individual. But as a culture, we've got a number of strikes against us that make giving correction to children challenging. One of the reasons in the rise of disobedience to parents in the earth is new disciplinary tactics devoid of the rod. New disciplinary tactics. The Bible says that we're supposed to use a rod, paddle, spank our children. That's what the Bible says. You don't have to like it. It's what the Bible says. But there's all these new tactics that say, oh, no, you don't ever need to do that. There's never a reason to do that. What Bible verse says that? There's not Bible verses that say that. I recognize every child's different, every this and that. But at some point, there is a reason for every child to experience this. And without it, it causes problems. The rampant fatherlessness in this generation it's very difficult for children to be disciplined accurately or rightly when they're missing a parent or both. The absence of parents is actively being involved in the lives of their kids. I mean, all these things are making a generation of kids grow up without discipline, and it's causing children to be disobedient to their parents. It's not the only factor. There are demonic forces as well. But I just want us to look at like the culture that we're living in and some of the dynamics are, you can kind of see it's like, man, this is fueling that. We're headed in that direction. That's really challenging. People will be ungrateful. As it pertains to the church, it's forgetting all that the Lord has done. I love the song and the direction that Tyler took things uh, towards the end of worship, just about being thankful. I've been just thanking the Lord so much lately about the fact that we're 22 hours a day here. I'm like, I don't, that is remarkable. How in the world does that actually happen? I mean, I'm only here for a part of it, but I assume it keeps going because nobody tells me that it stopped. I figured somebody would tell me. So I'm just like, how in the world? Lord, this is amazing that you've rallied a group of people together to do night and day prayer and worship. I mean, it's just, it's tremendous. That is incredible. But when there's ingratitude or rather people are ungrateful, that's a plague in the earth. It takes the place of thankfulness, and it winds up, uh, it winds up causing significant problems uh, in, in culture, in heart, in just, when you're thankful, you're a happier person, even if your circumstances are bad. You're a happier person. When you're a happier person, life looks one way. When you're a not happier person, life looks a different way. A whole culture being described as ungrateful. People will be unholy. The best way I could say this just in a, in a phrase is godlessness. And if you're trying to figure out what, what am I supposed to take away by they're unholy, godlessness, they're going to be missing godly leadership, 
missing godly counsel, and all the blessings that come from his commands being done in the land. When those things are not in place, when there's godlessness, that causes all sorts of more problems. Paul's describing people that are going to be going to church on Sunday. Not everybody, but you wouldn't want that to be said of one person. He says, oh, no, it's going to be a lot more than that. People will be without love. It says that they'll be unforgiving. They'll be slanderous, openly speaking against one another and probably against God. It starts in, in silence. It starts in, uh, in quietness, in the murmuring. But then it grows slanderously, openly slandering uh, people. People be without self-control. We live in a culture that tends to live by the rule, if it feels good, do it. That is a great way to die today. That is a really fast-track way to wind up dead and in hell, if it feels good, do it. There is not a good plan at all. We are called to have self-control. <clears throat> the last generation is going to be marked by lacking self-control, embracing whatever it feels is good. Whether that includes greed, murder, rape, whatever the wicked heart might desire. Not having self-control, no restraints, means I want that. I want to do that. There's no self-control, therefore I'll do it. Despite whether it's good, helpful, treacherous, you know, uh, illegal, a generation marked by no self-control, people will be brutal you know where this is going, and we, we can see it in uh, Revelation chapter 13 and elsewhere. Eventually, the government is going to even legalize violent acts against the church. Eventually, that's where this is going to go. Legalized violence against the church. But we're told by Jesus that brother will betray brother even unto death. Meaning some of those acts of violence are going to come from even within the church culture. And this is Paul saying, hey, Timothy, you need to brace for impact because there is going to be brutality even within the church. Really, really bad news. I just imagine Paul or uh, Timothy, as he was reading 2 Timothy, he just like had to stop. <laughs> like he had to like pause and really take a breath and try to process what Paul was telling him about what was coming. Not lovers of the good treacherous. Think about that. Hidden agendas, scheming, <clears throat> treacherous. What a horrible description for the person sitting next to you at church on Sunday morning. Hey, dude, are you treacherous? Like, don't be treacherous, okay? There's going to be people that are to be treacherous. <clears throat> Rash. Compulsiveness is constantly in the word condemned as folly. All throughout the word. Compulsiveness is not a good attribute. And Paul says, oh yeah, the, there's going to be many in the church that are rash. They're compulsive. <clears throat> they just kind of like act. They, they think it and they act. It's like, no, no, that, we, don't, we don't act like that. That's not how this works. It says they'll be conceited, defiant in their continued pursuit of what brings them satisfaction. Conceited. Conceited is, uh, you can't be corrected. Conceited is full of yourself, that your ideas are the right ones and there's no other way that it could possibly be done. Uh, uh, this, this conceit. And he says, yeah, there's gonna be a whole generation of people <clears throat> that are that way. People will be lovers of pleasure. The cross requires us to live the exact opposite way. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, listen, all of you are going to experience some things in your life <coughs> from the Lord <clears throat> that are going to require you to lay down certain pleasures. Some pleasures are, uh, are off limits altogether. Some pleasures are <clears throat> uh, uh, acceptable, but they're not beneficial or they're not beneficial for you in this season. And the whole cost of discipleship is that we would take up our cross and follow Jesus. And Paul says, there's going to be a a whole generation of people that are lovers of pleasure and they pursue it with all their effort and their energy. I can see so much of this in our current culture. There is so much love of pleasure that the thought, I mean, let's just make the most basic pleasure, sleeping in. That's a pretty basic pleasure. The church in our culture 
meets on Sunday mornings for the most part. The idea of I'm going to sleep in and not go to church is a really a, a strange idea, but it's one that is so normal in our church culture. It's like I'm going to not, I'm going to, I'm going to give into this little pleasure, and it seems so harmless, right? It's like I just want to sleep a little longer, but it's like giving up that thing that you know is the better portion to be with the saints. Don't give up the habit of meeting together, and yet, like that idea, there's, but that's just like the most basic version of giving into pleasure over what is better. And Paul says there's going to be a whole generation that people will love their pleasures, and I picked on the most simple, innocent one possible, to give you kind of a baseline to go, how much of that is in me? Like, how much of these, these little entry point things am I giving in to pleasures when really I know what's better for me? You know, and it says there's going to be a whole generation. People will not be lovers of God, though they will claim his name. They'll claim the name of Jesus. Many of them will claim the name of Jesus. They'll tell you their salvation story. They'll tell you what they learned in their quiet time this week. None of that matters. This list is going to be a barometer for us to check against, for us to be able to help identify where people are at. People will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Now, we've got to talk about these two points. A form of godliness... Just, we need to go back in time to Paul's day. We need to think about the generation that they were living in with all the uh, false gods and all the, uh, the pagan, you know, heathen practices and all this stuff. And we need to think about when Paul said having a form of godliness but denying its power, he's talking about having a form of Christianity that if you just take a glance at it, you're going to think it's Christianity. Having a form of godliness, he doesn't mean a, a form of some weird version of religion. He's talking about people that are going to be, if, if you just take one look at them, you're going to think, yeah, they're godly. They're going to have a form of godliness. There's going to be some things that they do. They get, again, talking to you about their quiet time. I'm just throwing that out there. There's nothing wrong with talking about your quiet time. But they're going to have things that they're going to be able to point to that are going to be forms of godliness. Not forms of weird religion, forms of Christian religion. They're going to have forms of it, but they're going to deny the power of God. And denying the power of God is a significant reality. That's the power of the cross, the power of the demand of the cross, which says lay down your life. They're going to deny that. They're going to deny the power of God to move in us, move through us, require of us, there is so much about God who God is love and God is holy. When we deny the power of God, we're denying his nature and his character as loving and as holy. When we were just told that they will be ungodly and they will be uh, uh, unloving. They will not be loving and they will not be godly. I mean, they're denying the reality of God in their lives. <coughs> so this... Deny the power of God. You don't want to mostly be thinking of that as they don't believe in signs and wonders. That is not mostly what's being talked about here. That might be part of it at some level, but I bet you there'll be plenty of these charismatic junkies that are form of religion, deny the power, and they'll be all about <coughs> God moves in signs and wonders. I believe in the power of God. Okay, but do you believe in the power of repentance? <laughs> Do you believe the power of God's holiness and he says, draw near to me? Do you believe in the power of God in operation, like the power of God to change a soul, the power of the new creation, the power of the cross, which was to, uh, was to remove darkness, was to judge darkness? Do you believe in that power? Oh, well, I kind of like my darkness. I kind of like this. Yeah, that's the power that you're denying. And Paul says, have nothing to do with these people. Let me tell you the temptation. This will be the temptation. I am grateful for some dry rehearsals or, or, or you know, dress rehearsals, dry runs. That's what I was trying to say. I'm grateful for some little dry runs that we've been able to see over the years related to this. Because here's how it goes. The tendency in the heart with somebody like this is to forsake Paul's statement, have nothing to do with them. 
the tendency is, well, I just want to, I want to help them. You know, I want to, this, this is, they're gone. They are beyond help. You would have been able to help them 10 stages ago. By the time they're at this point, have nothing to do. Well, they call themselves a Christian. They just went to the other church and the other church embraced them as a true brother or sister in the Lord. That doesn't matter. Have nothing to do with them, it says. Because they are going to be toxic, poison, cancerous, and they will be contagious. And their, their form of godliness, they will talk others into. They're going to talk your, your other friend into it. They're going to be slowly pulling on your heart to be talked into it. This is, this is really bad news, Paul. Like You are giving us some really heavy news. I really wish the message was for Timothy. Because then it could just be over with and done. He says, no, in the last days, this is what the generation is going to be like. So pay attention because you're going to need this. Oh, I don't want to need this. I, I cannot imagine a version of life that looks like this that I'm going to be excited about. And Paul says, good, you're listening. There will be terrible times in the last days. Oh, my gosh. Why couldn't it just be bloody water? Thinking soberly about what's coming, Paul warns us that people will not endure sound doctrine. He says, people are not going to put up with right teaching. He says, you, people are going to try to teach the truth. That's part of the reason that Paul's making this, uh, this whole appeal to Timothy. <coughs> he says, but I just want you to understand, people are not going to have it. He says, the generation that's going to be walking like this and living like this, you're not going to be able <coughs> to just with a, a simple little teaching, well, but Jesus said, you know, we should love and said, don't sin, go and sin no more. I mean, they are not going to put up with sound teaching. The Holy Spirit is speaking to a future generation of leaders here, a future generation that needs to get their heads on straight. I do appreciate Paul's repeated uh, focus brought back to Christ's return. It's, hey, you just got a minute longer. When you find yourself in this situation, you don't have long left. Hang in there. And he repeatedly, over and over in, in uh, First Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4, he says it three times, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. 4.8, he says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me on that day. 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's bringing the attention repeatedly back to Jesus is our focal point. Don't focus on the negativity of, this, of the generation that you're going to have to be living in. Focus on Jesus. He's the only way. All eyes on Jesus is the only way to navigate through the, uh, the uh, tumult of that day and the promise that there really is an end. The story of the Bible is really true. Jesus Christ is real. He's coming back, and he's going to reward you for your faith and for your, uh, your faithfulness. His return is called our blessed hope. So I'm grateful that even in the midst of all this, Peter, I'm sorry, Paul draws our attention repeatedly to our solution, and that is we look to the second coming. It's real. We're going to make it. We just need to endure. And Paul says this. He's charging Timothy, and subsequently he's charging us, okay, <clears throat> to serve Jesus faithfully, in light that he's coming and we're all going to be assessed by our kingdom work <coughs> in the generation that he returns. Think about this for a second. Paul says it this way, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 4, 1 through 2. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. So he just got done. He's saying, I want to big, I'm going to make some big statements here. I am charging you as though Jesus was standing right here. I am giving you a commission before Jesus. And I'm also giving you a commission in light that when he comes, he's going to judge you according to what you do with this charge. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I'm giving you instructions. Here's how you navigate. Here's what you do with all this information that I just gave you. Preach the word. 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I don't know if you knew that that verse was in the context of Paul training Timothy how to address the fallacies of the end time church. He's saying, this: you need to be prepared, you need to preach the word. This isn't even mostly preach the gospel to lost people. That's not mostly the context, though preach the gospel to lost people. That's part of the whole package, but that's not the context of this passage. This is Paul saying, how are we going to keep the church from losing its mind? How are we going to keep the church from winding up looking like this? Hey, Timothy, if you're paying attention. Hey, end time Timothys, if you're paying attention. How do you help deal with the growing, uh, uh, the growing heresy, the growing wickedness in the culture? You, I charge you in front of Jesus. Because he's going to come and he's going to assess you how you handle this charge in your generation. I am telling you, you need to know the word of God that pertains to the generation you're living in. And you need to continually preach it with careful instruction, with reason, with correction, with rebuking. You need to get clear on these things and hold people to it. You need to live this way. That is a charge. And he says, Because you're going to be in a generation, verse 3, the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. You are going to need to be clear on your doctrine because the time is coming when people won't put up with it. uh, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, he says, instead, here's what they're going to do. They're going to look around for people who will preach you can live how you want. They're going to look around for people that will preach. You don't have to pay attention to the things, you know, that the scripture call you to. You don't need to understand all this end time stuff. None of that's going to matter anyway. You just do what you want. And they're going to look for people that will preach that message. It says it this way. Instead, now remember, this is all an end times passage. Instead, To suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They want to be told, you can live this way. You can live with this compromise. Of course it's okay if you sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Sure, you can do that. They want to be surrounded by that kind of messaging. And they're going to be looking, they're going to be promoting teachers that will say those things. (laughs) they'll be promoting teachers. Think about this. All the warnings that we have about, pay attention, don't be deceived in the last days, don't be deceived in the last days. Think about how how important it's going to be to the enemy that the church isn't talking about we're coming up to the end times, we're nearing the end times, we're in the end times when we're finally in in the final uh, final, uh, decade or so. Think about how important it is to the enemy to squelch that word. To squelch that information. He says, people are going to surround themselves with teachers that are going to say what they want to hear so that it gives them permission to live how they want to live, which is unrestrained. I'm just giving you one verse here out of 1 Timothy. We've been all uh, 2 Timothy verses. 1 Timothy 4, Paul says to Timothy, so this is his first letter. He says, Timothy, the Spirit clearly says in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now we're in 2 Timothy, and he's telling them more about these teachers. (laughs) These ones that have had their consciences seared, and he says they're hypocritical liars. They're actually teaching doctrines of demons. That there will be many in the church that will be pining, that will be looking to promote teachers that are actually teaching doctrines of demons in order to empower their lifestyle. This is already happening. It is going to get much, much worse. The Bible is the Bible is the word of God is the truth. We can't deviate from the scripture. 
We don't get to make up new doctrines. We don't get to learn mostly what we think about God and life and truth and the end times from the internet. That's crazy. We get our understanding from the scripture. We hold to the word of God. It is the truth. It is the plumb line. It is what keeps us sane and sober-minded. And Paul, he says, I've modeled this for you. Uh, Final page, worship leader or worship team, you can come on up. Paul, Paul models how we're supposed to move forward with all this. Now, again, this is end times topics. This is not, this is not uh, Paul talking to Timothy about some random teaching. He's giving him instruction about the end times. And he says, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is all still part of that uh, Peter, um, sorry, Paul charging Timothy in the sight of Jesus. It's all still part of that same charge. He says, endure hardships, keep your head in all situations, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. And he says, I've fought the good fight. I've been doing this. Timothy, I've been modeling for you what this looks like. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And let me tell you, because I've done that, the thing I'm charging you to do, because I've done that, there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. We can learn a lot about what our lifestyle is supposed to look like, what we're supposed to be giving ourselves to in this generation by looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. He says, because it's not just for me. He says, this reward, it's not just for me. It's for all that'll do what I've been doing. It's all that'll live the way that I just described to you, Timothy. It's not just a promise for you. It's for you, not only me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. Longing for his appearing is very different than praying the prayer. Longing for his appearing is throwing yourself into the end time conversation, which the highlight and our hope is that Jesus returns. Longing for his appearing. It's not longing for some version, not longing for death. Longing for the second coming of Christ. If you will, longing for the end times to be reality. He says those that will long for this You'll get the same crown that I'm going to get. Because this I just gave you this pattern of how we're to live. I look at 2 Timothy and the model that Paul gives us here of what is coming, how we need to brace ourselves, how we need to live and prepare. And it is heavy. Paul started it with, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. But you'll get through it and you'll be fine if you pay attention to what I just gave you and if you live in the lifestyle of longing for his appearing. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.